0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Creativity is what today's guest is all about. Whitney Bolster is the founder and CEO of Ampersand, a female-led, mission-driven, creative branding agency. When Whitney gave birth to Ampersand in 2013, it began as a production company, but in the years since, has built more than 50 brands and worked on national campaigns for Google, Lyft, Honeypot, to name just three, as a female-founded agency, Ampersand, which is based in Atlanta, is, and I quote, define the odds merely by existing and is dedicated to making space for more women to get involved in the industry. The female perspective is gaining on the world, and we are here for it. Now, who could argue with that? So let's meet and get to know Whitney Bolster. Welcome, Whitney, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today from Atlanta.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. So I'm going to
0: start with the obvious here. (laughs) Your last name, Bolster, says it all. I mean, (laughs) is that truly your last name or did you just change it to start this company?
1: Yeah, so I married into the name Whitney Bolster. Um, My maiden name was Whitney Reed, which had a nice sound to it, a little bit of Sound repetition, I guess, with the ease, but Wit Bolster has definitely been easier for people to remember. You didn't start out doing this. You were, you got a master's in education. I wanted to be an English professor. I wanted to teach literature. Yeah, I've always loved to read. I've always loved to write. And as a high school English teacher, most of what I did was teach writing. So I've always been a writer. When I was in grad school, Getting my like lit theory master's degree, I became pregnant with my daughter, and so quit grad school, and got an emergency teaching certificate because that was the only way that I could get health insurance oh. <laughs> to cover her.
0: Tell me, what, what year was that?
1: So that was, let's see, she's fifteen now, so um, that was two thousand five. Okay. Born in, She was born in 2006. So I got a job teaching at a very rural high school in Alabama, 30 minutes from where I was going to college uh, or going to grad school. And they hired me on the spot in July <laughs> and okay. uh, handed me some textbooks and I started teaching a month and a half later, threw up at the teacher initiation meeting. Because I was in the first trimester. Okay. So I weathered a lot that year. First job, first child. Were you a single parent? No, I was married to her father at the time, and he was getting his master's degree in wetland biology. Okay. So ended up teaching, really loved it. Had to go back to school to get an education degree because I had an undergrad in literature and really fell in love with teaching writing. And so I was an intern in my own classroom while I was pursuing my teaching degree. (laughs) And I did a lot of research, like ethnographic research on how different kinds of families interacted with the institution of school and how that affected literacy. So taught for seven years.
0: Were you in a rural part of Alabama or more metropolitan-ish?
1: Well, as metropolitan as Alabama Alabama gets, I guess. (laughs) I I was not in Birmingham. (laughs) Can be a wonderful place. I was living in Auburn because I was attending school at Auburn University. Um, And then I was actually teaching in a mill town 30 minutes outside of Auburn. That was actually Eastern time while I was living on Central. So I would leave for school at like six in the morning. And then I would get back and go to a seminar class. And for two years, I taught graduate level writing classes to teach teachers how to teach writing. Mm -hmm. So.
0: And so that you did for a bunch of years, and then what happened that you didn't decided not to continue?
1: So I taught for seven years, and in the meantime, uh, I switched schools where I was teaching. I got my degree. I divorced these dad. All good, Um, but blended family life is definitely a a big part of, of my story. But anyways, in that time, did all of that and started. To dip my toe into production. So Facebook was only like three or four years old. And I was just two hours from Atlanta where I'm based now. And so I would find Facebook pages that had big followings. And my boyfriend at the time, we would go and we would make videos about them. And so we made one video about criminal record store (laughs) in, in town Atlanta. And somebody from BBDO saw it.
0: That's a very big New York City-based ad agency. Wait, you made a video about criminal what?
1: Criminal records. It's a record store here in Atlanta. Uh, Oh, okay. So So it's not
0: actual criminal (laughs) records.
1: No, 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 no. no. It's a record store. Play on words. Okay. And they were doing a fundraiser. They were like about to go out of business, um, kind of the eternal state of record stores, unfortunately. And um, so we made a video about it. And this guy from BBDO, like their executive producer, called me. I grabbed a teacher to watch my class while I stepped outside to take the call. And he asked me if I could produce (laughs) a shoot for Embassy Suites across four cities where everyone would have hotspots, which this was when hotspots were like, I mean, not reliable to upload in real time, all the videos that we were shooting onto like Facebook. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I can do that. So he kind of stepped me through, like, this is how you make a proposal. These are the th- things that you should be thinking about. I don't think the, that they ended up moving forward with that campaign, but it kind of opened my eyes to what could be possible. And so within a year I was directing, uh, commercials for like beauty rest mattresses. And then I started doing video, producing videos for the school system and for the local hospital. With absolutely no background in this. I mean, writing, I guess, but you know, I I mean, it's all, it's all storytelling is always the same. I can remember, uh, interviewing the you know, the head of the school board, and she felt uncomfortable on camera. And I'd seen so many people on camera. I was like, I wish you could see what I see <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. everybody kind of freaks out. Like, it's okay. But I realized that a lot of what I'd been doing with my students was what I needed to do to help crews get a job done, to help somebody on camera, which is just remind them who they are, see them, and then give back to them what I'm hearing them say in a a cleaner, more concise way sometimes. I mean, with students, it was teaching them how powerful revision is, you know, and you don't get it on the very first time. You can't do 10 different things in your mind at once. You can't Mm -hmm. check for grammar, say it the way way you want to say it, and even like know what you want to say in the first place. And so I think that's been like a red thread for me. That's what I do for my clients now. I listen to what they want to be and what they feel like they are, and I give it back to them.
0: I mean, you didn't have that street cred in a sense and on some level you just kind of fell into this i'm taking nothing away from your creativity in literature and writing but you' I mean, you're, you're
1: absolutely I mean, what right. the hell did you know my boyfriend at the time who i we were together for three or four years he uh, was a grip in the film industry and i would study his call sheets and i would study the way that you know the way that producers would email him he would forward me emails and stuff. Um, and I learned, so I've always been able to pick up rhetoric, like been able to pick up the language. So you're and a sponge. I think it's why Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's why I could connect with 15 year olds and help them see that they had interesting stories to tell. And that, in fact, the most interesting stories we have to tell are about the most mundane things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and could translate poetry for them. When I got into the, the film industry, which was just, you know, some commercials I was producing, and then I directed, and then I wrote a commercial camp. The year I quit teaching, <laughs> I wrote a commercial campaign. In fact, I think because I didn't understand how weird it was that I didn't have like the pedigree. So I attend three days worth of like brand meetings with my friend who had an agency with this credit union. And on the very last day, she was like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about broadcast commercials. And I was like, we can do that we can totally do that. We can produce them. I didn't know what I was. Fitting into. Yes. To like a multi-million-dollar campaign. Yeah. For the last hour of those three days, they were like, you know, does anybody have any ideas for commercials? And I was like, why don't you do a branded character? Like somebody we can really relate to. Somebody who talks like, you know, he's in his early thirties, feels trustworthy, but not like over-educated about anything. What if we just do that? And then we show him moving through life, making his first banking decisions. And, were, and I was like, let's make it cinematic. And I sold in that first meeting, this shot like where it's raining outside and Joe grows steps outside and pops up in his umbrella and the camera comes up and we see all these umbrellas on the street in the rain. And they're like, oh my God, we love it. We love it. <laughs> and they come back with like, you know, so we go back to the budget and it needs to be like hundreds of thousands of dollars less. And I'm like, your rain shot is what's killing you. It was like an $80,000 shot. And that one little concept like sold them. And then, that, you know, the script writing, he was very affable. I sell them on this cinematic shot. They end up voting to keep it in despite the reduced budget. And Joe ran for like three or four years. Um, So, you know, I produced uh, and every time we would produce a shoot, I would layer something on that, you know, like, well, what if we how about like, let's do 12 quick takes for these Instagram videos. This was like right when Instagram first came out. And I would just always produce a little bit more than what they had asked us to do. And they would always be like, yeah, we love it. Of course we want to buy those. So
0: you went away ahead of your time because what's happening now with everybody, whether it be TikTok or this, what everybody's posting now, mm-hmm. what you did back then was a big deal. But now it would be just kind of ho hum because oh, it's normal
1: talking. now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah.
0: now did you? Yeah. So you didn't work for a company. You were an independent so,
1: contractor. Um, during that time, I was working as a freelance creative director, but I was working almost exclusively with an agency called Campbell Creative. Um, and Courtney and I went to college together. She called me like, I guess this would have been eight years ago that we started working together. And so I worked very closely with her for three or four years. With She's you the, all the owner of another agency, Campbell Creative, and they do incredible, beautiful work with um, clients all over the country. And she was just so generous with me, in terms of just, you know, if I said I could do something, she would put me in. So we were producing all the photo shoots for Diageo Wines out in Napa. Um, I mean, it was really like, for three or four, for those three or four years, it was, it was pretty amazing. So it's based in Auburn. During that time, I moved to Atlanta. So when I quit teaching, I moved to Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta that makes sense. Atlanta is wonderful for yeah, travel. Yeah. I mean, so it's for really a hub. years, yes. mm-hmm. it was so easy. I've always lived with like one foot in the South and one foot somewhere else. Um, in uh, 2013, so I quit teaching. And then in 2013, I bought myself a plane ticket to San Francisco you know, had been raising my daughter, was a full-time teacher and a full-time grad student and a graduate teaching assistant, Um, never had time to do anything like that. And I'd never purchased myself a plane ticket or gone anywhere on my own and really hadn't seen much of the country. I think I went to Colorado once when I was in like seventh grade. And other than that, I was really just in the South. So booked a ticket to fly out to California. And I had been to San Francisco because my friend's aunt lived there. Um, Who is now a very, very dear friend. And something about the timing of that trip, you know, where I was in terms of unlocking my own creativity and honoring myself. I was like 30 years old, like I just turned 30, and it just blew my mind. Like I felt so free. And I actually met with Courtney for the first time in real life since college on that trip. Um, and you know, met with somebody else, like reached out to them myself to arrange the meetings and then was like, Yeah, well, I'm going out there to meet somebody else. So I could see you all in there. <laughs> but I was coordinating all of this. Mm-hmm. And that just really kicked everything off for me. It made me very, I mean, I just had a wanderlust. I went out to San Francisco at least every other month, started picking up clients there, working with Courtney, and then in recent years, in the last two three years, have shifted from being I still go to the West Coast three or four times a year, but last year I had an apartment in Brooklyn and New York became this really important hub for me, actually, as I was becoming, you know, doing more and more and more uh, with startups. So, um, gosh, to like rein it all in, uh, I worked with her for three or four years. I really wanted to work with women and I really wanted to work with startups and I just wanted to pursue... Something of just a little bit different than um, than what Campbell Creative was, was doing at the time. And that was when I met Beatrice Dixon, the founder of Honeypot Company. And I drew the whole brand. So the Honeypot Company is a plant-based feminine care brand. Uh, it's really the first plant-based system in the world. And what Beatrice was doing at the time was incredibly profound. Um, she launched the brand with a wash that she formulated herself to heal herself and then launched the brand uh, around that. And so I took her from you know what her previous branding was to the branding that it is today. Um, went with her to the, to the meeting with the buyer for Target, drew a picture of what the end cap would be like. And just last year, Beatrice was in Super Bowl commercials for Target and her products are, are everywhere and her brand is so beloved. And she's so beloved because her she just has such a purity of heart. But Beatrice taught me that I could brand. Um, and I think before that, I always felt like as a creative director, you know, sure, I'm a writer, but I'm mostly translating what the clients want and bringing story and vision to that. Yeah, and then much engaging, more visual. Yeah, yeah. Then engaging creatives sort or of that, like, I'm not a designer. I know enough to be very dangerous. I can really ruin things in Adobe Creative Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was it's like each of these women, you know, Courtney really empowered me to, you know, say yes to things. And she taught me a lot about, you know, just the infrastructure of how an agency needs to hold a client and step them through approvals and things. She was so generous and, and loving in sharing that with me. And then Beatrice really, She just, I would be like, well, I got to hire somebody to do that. I don't, I don't do logos and stuff. And she was like, wait, you can do this. I'm watching you. You're doing it. Just do it. And so we did at the time. I did not have print designers. So Courtney's team actually helped me with some of the packaging to bring that to life. But, um, but yeah, that honeypot piece was huge. And again, I just didn't know. I think at the time, if I had known that I was designing a logo and writing taglines that um, would go viral and would have to live for for this long for a brand that is so profound, I think it would have completely shut me down as as a creative.
0: One step came after the other. And then at some point, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming it became a no-brainer for you to start your own company. And how did you come up with Ampersand?
1: So I had started Ampersand when I first started freelance creative directing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were, it was just a production company or anybody who I hired to do things that I was doing as a creative director, I would hire through Ampersand. And in 2014 or 15, I had my first employee, had first employee. And then in, gosh, I think 2016 or so, um, I decided to like create a public identity for Ampersand. Ampersand is the you know it's the symbol that means and
0: yes we Mm -hmm. see it
1: everywhere that's right (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, I mean it's it was it became very trendy but you know you and me that's what our company Ah, is for it's for Mm -hmm. for us and you Uh, it's it's what we make together Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that's really unique about us as an agency and maybe it's because I don't have that pedigree you know, prior to launching my own agency. Um, but, you know, we're not, we're not swooping in like geniuses who have, you know, irrefutable creative ideas about how things need to get done. You know, because I bootstrapped this myself, I bootstrapped my own creative life. You know, I have a lot of reverence and respect for what it takes for a founder to commit to bringing, to getting to the point of having a conversation with us about branding. And so I think like, Really, that whole process and and the way that I wanted to be so outspoken about um, only working with women, you know, and at the time, that was pretty radical. My whole family was like, you're leaving out most of the people who can pay you anything. And I'm proud to say that, you know, four or five years later, it has been almost exclusively women who have kept ampersand business. And I think that that's, you know, incredibly powerful. And it's even more powerful when you think about the way that women launch things versus the way that men launch things.
0: What's the difference?
1: Women don't wait to have all the money that they might need for the next two years to make something happen. Okay. Women are more likely to start something on their own, grow it themselves. And then they've usually, a lot of women when they come to us at Ampersand have been running their brands for two or three years, and they're ready to step it up. Um, but it's usually their own revenues that have put them in a position to be able to invest in branding. I just think women, I mean, my own experience as a woman has been that people have not expected very much of me. And so I would think it'd
0: be just the exact opposite, that you have to dance faster than a man does, you know, to prove yourself.
1: Well, I think that because, uh, because in my personal world, people didn't expect much of me, I didn't have any sort of expectations or pressures to be a certain kind of career person. And so I was always free to be pretty experimental in how I would take care of myself and Ruth, my daughter.
0: Interesting. Uh-huh.
1: And also as a single mom, the only the, really the only part of my life I had control over was my work day. Um, because the rest of the time I was with her and, and happy to be with her. Um, when I quit teaching, everybody was like, oh my God, your 401k and the benefits, like, what are you going to do? Well, and a constant you
0: income, know? you know, and it, it, yeah, uh, something it's that you can rely on, of course.
1: Right. And I just, I looked at what is, what was in my 401k and I was, you know, uh, old enough to be able to navigate that transition so that I didn't fall too hard on my face. But young enough to be, uh, to be, have that boldness. Yeah, to do it. be that
0: ballsy, sure. Was that something instilled in you by your parents or you just cultivated that on your own? Where's the strong I sense mean, of self come from?
1: Uh, well, I'm the only girl in a, in a family full of boys in Tennessee, so fairly patriarchal. And I always felt just like I was hearing different music than everybody else
0: literally and figuratively.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just Uh felt like I could just see things in a bigger way than most of the people who I was hanging out with. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that that's good or bad. I mean, to be totally honest, there have been moments, especially in the last Two or three years where I've been like, oh, if I had only just like been a little bit smaller. <laughs> it like, like feels so like hard. a lot. How do yeah. you turn the treadmill down, mm-hmm. you know, without breaking your face? Right, right. <laughs> You've had it amped up for so long. But I've just always been insistent on making things happen. I guess it's a good way
0: to describe it as you knew who you were on some level. On more than I one level. I feel like.
1: I kept, I feel like I kept doing who I was and eventually that started to, it would reveal parts of who I am. Um, I feel like I didn't really have very much access to myself actually until I was probably 30. I think writing gave me access to myself, um, you know, and made me want, made me want something bigger or different. And I've also always really gravitated towards people who would see me. And that's not always like, you know, seeing the good things. Uh, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. Um, Mm self-effacing. And I think, you know, part of the reason that I think adaptability is a big thing. So to say, you know, that I had this consistent, you know, sturdy self-image or self-confidence, or I really knew who I was, that doesn't feel like how it felt. (laughs) Uh Um, You know, but I kept saying yes to things that I think, Inside of me, it was like, that's a yes. I mean, you're going to go and you're going to, you know, shoot. If you can shoot commercials while you have a substitute teacher in your ninth grade English classroom, then you can design a life where you can travel. You can design a life where you can, you know, whatever. It's always been easy for me to land clients. Um, I think because I just, I really love people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a an listening. honesty in
0: a way and a purity in a way, it's sort of what you see is what you get when it comes to you.
1: Yeah, uh, and and that hasn't always felt comfortable for me or for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that can be uncomfortable. But truth has always been really important for me. Um, I think that being being a woman raised in the South, you know, there's um, you kind of grow up just hearing a lot of lies. Ruthie knew that Santa Claus was not real when she was three or four mm-hmm. because be, with so many family members being a, a split blended fl- family, you know, she was getting a lot of information. And so it was important to me that she knew that, you know, whatever I said was always true,
0: ah, um, mm-hmm. that
1: I wasn't going to mess with her about, you know, how things are. And I think, you know, I don't know how to be different from that. I've, I've always been that way. And I think that that's, That was uncomfortable for my parents growing up. I think it's been uncomfortable for my family. Um, It's certainly uncomfortable for Southerners who just want to be polite. But it always, you know, the good thing about living in that kind of truth is that it also resonates with people who also live that way. Um, And so I think, you know, we have done beautiful work for brands that have really grown, but we also, all of our clients are great connections like they would all like each other (laughs) you know they all they all have that kind of like uh that core it was
0: a no-brainer for when you were really getting into ampersand that you needed to share your essence and what you have have picked up along the way what's part of you with other women because it was such a natural act so to speak
1: And it was something that was just such a mystery to me as a Southern, I I mean, I say Southern woman because that's my, a Southern white woman, that is my particular experience as a human being, just go around. And, you know, when you're talking about growing up in, you know, conservative Memphis, Tennessee, uh, going to cotton carnivals and those social events, and then, you know, went to Auburn University, also very conservative was in a sorority, you know, there's everybody's kind of playing a particular role. And that just always felt very limiting to me. It just felt, it made me feel very stuck. But I also have always really preferred the energy of women. And when I joined the wing in New York, uh, in New York City, you know, that was really my first experience being in a room... Um, so, I, so I guess two or three years ago, I joined The Wing, which is a women's community club uh, or women's co-working community um, in New York City. So there were uh, f- three or four in Manhattan, three in Manhattan, one in Brooklyn. And they were just, it was women only when they first started it. And that was my first experience ever being in a room where the only thing I could hear was women's voices.
0: So the wing is an empowerment group, a female empowerment group.
1: Um, It was a a co working community, so really for for women, a lot of women entrepreneurs. To, you know, there were showers and uh, you know like amenities and concessions and things like that. They've since under fire. You know, I mean, I don't know what's going on with them now. Uh, About a uh, last summer, a lot of things came out about their uh, treatment of women or the experience of women of color at the wing and and things Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. just weren't handled responsibly. Mm -hmm. Um, What that did introduce to me is the power of powerful female friends. And I think that's what I had made for myself here in Atlanta um, at Ampersand. You know, our whole team is women. Um, We do our web developer is male and he's been with me for like 12 years. But, you know, even just being in our studio uh, has a particular feeling. I don't even know how to explain it, um, how it feels to work with women. The way that I've always seen everything is that all boats rise. So, you know, if if I'm seeing somebody doing something that I would love to be doing, then I like to try to find a way to be a part of what they're doing, <laughs> um, you know, and I think Part of Ampersand's mission is an important part is make away. way. And uh, that really comes from that kind of historical narrative of women climbing the patriarchal capitalist center and slamming shut every door behind them because only one woman's going to be in the room. And so I've always really wanted to make space for all women uh, to be able to do what they want to do. You know, it shouldn't be $150,000 to have a conversation with somebody about your your brand. I just, I totally disagree with that. Um, We want to make it possible for women to launch companies because that's what women are doing right now. And we want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, so we've worked with some really prolific, powerful women, Samaya Gore with Body Complete Rx. Uh, we just launched a rebrand with her last December and, you know, to, to work with these women who have the tenacity and the courage to hold on to their businesses and launch them no matter what, I mean, that is a really powerful energy to be around and to work with. And i you know, we, we do have male clients. So I was, I was going of, to ask you that. Yeah, I was going to Plenty of male-owned brands that we have worked with. But um, because of our mission, I think that everybody who works with us knows what we're about. And they're about it, too. I'd like to think that, you know, that everything that I am do is empowering people. Of both you know? genders. I mean, people. people yeah. yeah. I think when, when people are seen, uh, you know, every kind of person, when a person is seen, That's powerful. There's something really energetically powerful that happens in those moments. And I I believe that beautiful things happen um, when people feel confident and they feel rooted in themselves.
0: And supported.
1: Yeah. And they feel like there's space for them to be that in the world. Um, And I like being a part of that. All of that. Does
0: Ampersand (laughs) do a lot of
1: mentoring? Right before COVID hit, uh, I had launched something called Brand Camp. It was going to be a three-day intensive at Hotel Claremont for women who uh, needed digital marketing support but weren't in a position to hire it on. Over the last two years, I've learned so much about growth marketing, and there are so many low-hanging fruits that if you just knew to write an email and schedule it to go out twice a week saying anything, that that would help your sales. When not you do that?
0: Yeah,
1: uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so I, what I did is I brought together, uh, like MailChimp sponsored it, but I brought together all the digital marketing platforms that we use or that I used when it was just me um, and called in people to teach those apps or those practices to teach to, you know, a group of female founders who need to learn it. So we had like 20 different sessions set up the women would have been able to attend, like drop in on. We could do like twelve per class, and it was going to be in real life. It was going to be Hotel Claremont mm-hmm. is a beautiful boutique hotel here that we that we worked with for a long time. At the time we were doing their social media, it was just a really you know it was going to be a really great experience for all of us in real life. And uh, the Two, week uh-oh. before, right, mm-hmm. the whole world shut down, mm-hmm. and so I just face planted into. Brand Camp virtual experience. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, Brand Camp was definitely born of just wanting to help, wanting to mentor, wanting to give people the tools that they need to do what they need to do with their business. So, yeah, I I haven't been able to pick that back up because it was a lot more to um, coordinate than I had. Uh, yeah, well, imagined. than anybody <laughs> anticipated?
0: Yeah, this just so came out yeah. of the field. It's like nothing anybody ever dealt with before. How many women are employed at Ampersand?
1: We have four full time employees, and then I work with three or four different contractors on a regular basis. And then when we have photo shoots, you know, we can have twenty people who are engaging. So we we stay loose enough to be able to engage people you know, artists or growth marketers and things like that. As we But
0: you had to reconfigure because of the pandemic. You know, it's not so simple to have a photo shoot today.
1: That's true. We made it through the pandemic. Uh, I won't say it was easy. Uh, there were a lot of days of crying while composing emails because the work must go on. But, oh, my God, I'm so full. And uh, I had, you know, I was working like 14 hour days and then also trying to stay very calm for our clients and for our team. Like everything's great. We're we're fine. We've got this, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but, you know, so no, our total employee number, um, we had a lot of um, hospitality accounts. And so when a restaurant group let us go, then, you know, we let somebody go there. I mm-hmm. uh, the person who ran that account. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the most part, our little team has stayed intact. And, you know, our clients were gracious to keep us on, the ones who could.
0: During this time, you mean, where everybody's been impacted, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, full circle, to go back to social media videos, uh, you know, I had to really, really get a grip on digital marketing Mm -hmm. um, because we couldn't afford to just make pretty stuff. We needed to make pretty things that would also, you know, translate to revenue. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you see for ampersand's future or what do you want to do that maybe you haven't done?
1: Right now I'm working on an online course to help people reconnect with their essence and make sure that their brand or their company maps on top of that. Um, that's kind of a personal journey that I'm going through, wanting to revisit writing, just personally and creatively, um, and still, you know, run a business. You know, the future for Ampersand, we would, you know, we would just love to to meet more women, more more entrepreneurs who we can help empower uh, through beautiful branding and smart strategy. You know. Most of my long-term goals have to do with like where I'm going to live. <laughs> like I don't you know I mean, Ampersand could keep doing this forever as long as I could just keep changing my world, my view, the view out of my window. <laughs> I definitely will live in California at some point, and um, and Is I'll just with your in husband, me. by the way. Yeah. Okay. he's a commercial photographer, and do you want to him? We work together some. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, we, you know, I went through a couple of years where I only hired female photographers and now I would say, I really just, you know, he and I have worked together more through the pandemic because we can safely work together. Um, and because he is, I mean, obviously he's married to me, so he's quite a feminist. Uh, so he's done, he's done a number of tabletop boots to make sure that, the branding that we did was gonna be represented beautifully. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, yeah, I think live, I need to I need to get near an ocean like ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I get it. Atlanta <laughs> is important to yes. me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I love to work. I've always I think I've always been a hard worker. I'm kind of uncovering and discovering a new a new speed uh of like I'm in a new gear. <laughs> with work where I can work more. I just have your capacity for it. Um, and I think right now it's, it's really about what do I want to put my energy into? And I think ampersand, you know, we have such a talented team of designers and writers and my project manager uh, is just such a dream and they, they make it possible to be able to imagine you know, having an hour for me to write something for myself. I would love to do more, more of what we're good at. And then I would love to have more time to, to watercolor and write.
0: (laughs) So do you see your company growing?
1: No, you know, growth is, growth is a big deal to a lot of agencies. um, And it's not something that I've ever been particularly interested in. Obviously, in order to have a mission, we need to have capital. Right. Not saying I agree with that. I wish, you know, I wish that capitalism wasn't occurring the way that it is for all of us. (laughs) So limiting, but, but that's the way it is. And so, you know, I, I am a firm believer in going with what is, you know, and accepting that and then building and working around that. So, yeah, I mean, I want to grow ampersand so that we have more resources to be able to do more of the work that we do.
0: In this conversation, I certainly got it. Nothing can stand in your way, you know. Whitney's going to do what Whitney's going to do, and that's very empowering for other women to see that. You know, nothing was going to hold you back. Something bad notwithstanding. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Looking back, for sure. I mean, you know, but I also just hearing you say that back to me, I'm like, but it's so important that people understand how unglamorous it is, and how hard it was, and how you know, I've made mistakes and I've lost friends because I didn't make informed, mature business decisions. I've had all the issues that business owners have um, without a mentor of my own. And, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, that can be, you know, lots of sleepless nights, lots of being responsible for so many things and sometimes wondering like, whoa, are you really thinking about what's right, in here? Are you really right. thinking about what you're doing? Right. Especially when we're navigating a world right now that is um, really, really stepping towards okay. the truth in every way, mm-hmm. you know? And you can either say nothing or, you know, because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing or you can say the wrong thing sometimes and say the right thing sometimes. Right, And exactly. own that. Yes. You know, and that's not always easy for people. You know, I've said or or, or done things that I would absolutely do differently now. And some well, with people can age evolve through wisdom, that some for some people sure. can't. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so I don't want it to seem like, you know, like everything feels bright and shiny and easy. I mean, I'm also a mom. So I have that same feeling of, you know, I'm not, doing the mom thing as well as I could be. I'm not doing the work thing as well as I could be. And where am I in that? I'm not even naming myself in that equation. Yeah, I just wish Um, we could shed
0: that skin for once and for all. I think we all sort (laughs) of suffer through that. Yeah, it's I think it's endemic in in our estrogen, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, the more that women uh, can talk, can have conversations about these things and hear other women talking about how unglamorous it is, that's empowering.
0: Perfect way to end much more continued success and introspection and a move out West near the ocean sounds absolutely divine, but you probably won't leave your Southern essence behind, but (laughs) probably not. not. (laughs) I enjoyed meeting you and hearing all about ampersand. Keep us abreast of what goes on in your life.
1: Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Oh, totally.
0: My pleasure, too. And thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.